Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to the third message in our series on James, snapshots of, a, of true faith. We learned in the first message that we saw a picture of what a Christian does during uh, trials in the first message. In the second message last week with Ryder, we learned what a Christian does during uh, testing. And uh, we are now in our third message on true faith, snapshots of true faith. This message is the most important message in the series. This is the core teaching of James when we look at uh, the, the pictures of true faith. And that is because all of the ethical teaching whether it's the Christian during times of, of trials or temptations or um, all the ethical instruction about partiality or anger or patience or boasting or quarreling and everything else, all of that teaching is based upon the core truths that we will be looking at today. We're going to read two passages today and cover a lot of material, but we're going to be doing a, a very high flyover and I believe that's going to be very good for us to, to see. When we're finished today, we're going to see two core truths that are related to one another that, that helps us with all the other ethical teachings. Those are, number one, that a Christian, um, somebody with true faith, responds to God's word by obedience. And secondly, somebody with true faith uh, counts the cost of his discipleship. And so let's look at the first mark, which is a truth Christian will respond to God's word with obedience. And we will begin by reading James chapter 1 and verses 19 to 27. So read along with me as we begin in verse number 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is, religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Our culture likes to tell people, follow your heart, as if that's something that we have to do. The Bible paints a very different picture. The Bible tells us that man naturally follows the desires of his heart. But the Bible also teaches that man's, uh, when he naturally follows his heart, every person's heart is, is wicked and tends to disobey God in what God asks us to do. 
But here, James is describing a heart that God has made alive and responds in obedience to his word. When James is talking about somebody who looks into the law of liberty and somebody who is blessed in his doing and, and he keeps his, his tongue back from evil things, it reminds me of, of a passage in Ezekiel chapter number 11, verses 19 and 20, where Ezekiel, the prophet, has this to say about the work of God. God says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a, a heart of flesh. And now pay careful attention that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. You see, when God gives someone a new heart, they respond by obeying God's word. And this is James' main point in the passage that we're looking at. In, in verses 19 through 21, he's leading up to his main point. And he tells us that someone with true faith receives God's word with a humble heart. They're eager to hear God's word. They are slow to speak. Instead of speaking, they meditate on God's word. They think and they ponder it. And then they're slow to anger. The reason they're slow to anger is because God is at work in the heart. And out of, out of their heart um, is, is, what, what the, is where the anger comes from. And so when God prepares the soil of our heart, according to verse 21, he implants the word in. He talks about the word being implanted. In verse number 22, then, we see when God implants that word in verse 22, uh, the heart responds by obeying God. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To truly receive the word, verse number 21, is to obey the word in verse number 22. Mark this down. This is an important biblical principle that runs all the way through the Bible. Any response to the gospel that does not include obedience is self-deception. Let me repeat that. Any response to the gospel that does not include obedience is self-deception. If a profession of faith in Christ does not result in a changed life that hungers and thirsts after God's word and desires to obey him, that profession is just that, merely a profession and there's nothing inside. Chuck Swindoll says that there are two kinds of people in church. He calls the first group auditors. Have you ever audited a class? Uh, when you audit a class, you, you go to the class, but you don't do any of the work. You're not required to fulfill the reading assignments, to write the papers, or take the test. You just come to the class and you absorb the information. I did that one time. I can't remember anything about the class because there was no work involved. And Chuck Swindoll says that these auditors, he says this about them. Tragically, most churches have many auditors. 
members who willingly expose themselves to the teaching and preaching of the word, but have no desire for that knowledge to alter their day-by-day lives. They take advantage of the privilege of hearing God's word, but they have no desire for obeying it. And then he finishes by saying this, when followed consistently, that attitude gives evidence that they are not Christians at all, but only pretenders. But there's a second group that, that Chuck Swindoll mentions, and it's a group that is, is talked about by James here, and that is the doers of God's word. You know as well as I do that the basic desire of a true believer, somebody who has true faith in their heart, is to do God's will and to obey him. In the long run, that's actually our proof of salvation. It, it, it proves our salvation or our lostness. Do you obey God's word? That's what John says in, in 1 John 2, 4, when he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And you think, well, John's just being judgmental, except that John is actually backing up and repeating what Jesus said in John 15, 14. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And so a true Christian, somebody who has true faith is somebody who hears God's word and then obeys and and does God's word. Someone can be faithful to church, listen to sermons, live a good moral life, and can deceive others into thinking that they're Christians. But the saddest truth that James mentions here is that that person is also self-deceived. They're deceiving themselves. James illustrates this self-deception by comparing somebody who is like this to somebody who looks in a mirror and then quickly forgets what they looked at. They, they, they forget what they see. The, God's word is a mirror. And when we hold God's word up and when we read God's word, it shows us the true us. We truly see who we are when we look at the mirror of God's word. And if you immediately discard what it says, you're forgetful here. But if you persevere and you think deeply and you willingly obey and you abide by its principles, instead of, being, instead of hearing and forgetting, then you will be blessed by doing it. Now, that's great and all that James says that we're doers of God's word, but what does it mean to do God's word? James anticipating this question coming up then goes on to describe three ways that the, his audience, the people that he's writing to, can be doers of God's word. And the first thing that he says is that they bridle their tongue in verse number 26. The, that word bridle, when he says bridle the tongue, is actually talking about controlling your tongue. If you do not control your tongue, your profession is useless. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But the, the answer, the, the reason for that, the, the, the reason that um, controlling your tongue is, is an evidence of, of doing God's word is that God's word transforms your heart. 
and what's in the heart comes out through the mouth. That's what Jesus said to the self-righteous Pharisees. He said, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Literally, this is a test of salvation. Jesus also said this, listen to this. He said, for by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that what you say, what you consistently say, will either prove that you are in him or it will prove that you are not of him and you will be condemned. Secondly, not only do you bridle your tongue, but verse number 27 says that you have concern for the helpless. Verse number 27 says that a true Christian has concern for the afflicted. Nobody in, in the New Testament that we have ever read about had greater self-deception than the Pharisees. Remember, James said, if you're a hearer and not a doer, you're self-deceived. And of all the people in the New Testament during the, the time of Jesus' ministry, of all the people in the world who thought they deserved heaven, it was the Pharisees. But Jesus told them this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what are those? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. You ought to have done these without neglecting the others. The weightier matters, according to Jesus, are justice and mercy and, and faithfulness. And so somebody who is a doer of God's word is somebody who has concern for others. And then James gives a third way that we can do God's word in verse number 27, and that is to avoid worldliness. He finally instructs his, his hearers to keep themselves unstained from the world. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be worldly or to remove yourself from the world? Well, if you are worldly, if you're a worldly Christian, you are somebody who takes on the, the desires the goals, the philosophy, the, 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 the morality, and the value set of this world and everything that's going to pass away. And so therefore, to keep yourself unstained from the world is to not take on those values. So let me ask you a question. Are you an auditor? Just hearing God's word and remaining unchanged? Are you somebody who does God's word? A true, somebody with true faith will not only hear God's word, but will obey God's word. And now we're going to move on to a second passage and see the second core truth. And these two, two truths are tied together and they, they, they form the core of what James is trying to say. Truth number two is that a true Christian will count the cost of discipleship. So now let's move to James chapter 2. And we'll look at verse number 14. James chapter 2, verse 14, and we will read those together. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, 
if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now this is a wonderful passage that we could spend uh, one or two whole sermons on, but I'm going to go over it rather quickly and get to the point very quickly in, in this paragraph. On the surface, it appears that James is saying that you can be saved by faith and works. That's what it takes for salvation and not by faith alone. But that's not what he is saying at all. He is saying this, that having a proper knowledge of God and making a verbal profession of faith is not proof of salvation. Let me say that one more time. Having a proper knowledge of God and making a verbal profession of faith in God is not proof of salvation. Rather, the proof of salvation is a changed life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It may seem that James is kind of repeating the same truth that he talked about in chapter one that we just looked at a while ago, but that is not true. In chapter one, he's stressing the believer's response to God's word, and that response is obedience. Here in chapter two, He's teaching that a genuine Christian, somebody with true faith, will count the cost of discipleship. Now let's see very quickly how he develops his argument. In verses 14 to 17, he says that a confession of faith without works is empty. He illustrates this point in verse number 15 he, he, by noting that somebody he talks about somebody who has compassionate words to another person but does not actually meet their need. He says it like this, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? I love James' illustration all throughout his book. He, these are wonderful, poignant illustrations Look, if I'm hungry, I don't want your kind words. I want you to buy me a cheeseburger, a double cheeseburger even. The, the kind words do nothing for me. To tell me that you understand my need is not enough. Real help 
comes when your words of compassion turn into action. And in the same way, James is saying that a profession of faith without the accompanying works is useless. In verses 18 and 19, he says that to be orthodox, and when I use the word orthodox, I'm talking about having the right kind of doctrinal belief. Having right doctrinal belief is useless. How do we know that? Because he says that even the demons believe the truth and tremble. Now, let's just think about that for just a minute. Do you realize that demons have more orthodox beliefs than we do? As a matter of fact, if you, and don't, I shouldn't even be saying this, if they would tell the truth, you could ask a demon and they would give you the, the most orthodox theology that you have ever heard, more than the best preacher you've ever heard. Why do I say that? Because they understand God better, they know theology better, and, and they, they've seen everything about God. They've seen heaven, they've seen the way he acts and, and, and things like that. But that belief, please understand, that knowledge that orthodox belief alone got them nowhere. So knowing the right thing is not enough. James is saying orthodox belief is not enough. You believe God is one, you do well, but that's not enough is what he's saying. Then he makes another statement in the following few verses about faith and works. And he, he gives the illustration of Abraham. And he says in verses 21 and 22, they're difficult verses. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Now, if you don't think about that carefully, that can be a very confusing passage. The most critical point here to understand is that um, what James means by the word justified. James is not dealing with the means of salvation, faith that leads to salvation or justification by works. Rather, James is dealing completely with the evidence of salvation, the evidence that salvation is, has occurred. And so he is emphasizing the truth that genuine salvation, which is always and only by God's grace through faith, genuine salvation will inevitably be demonstrated by outward righteous deeds. That's the point of this whole passage. So where he says Abraham was justified by works, he means that works are proof of Abraham's justification before God. And this brings us to a final question, and that is this. What are these works that James is speaking of in this passage? What are these works? Well, he gives two illustrations to illustrate the works. The first one is the illustration of Abraham offering his son Isaac up on the altar in, in Genesis chapter 22. Remember that Isaac was the promised son. Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations. He was promised a son 
That promise was 25 years in the making. He finally gets a son. His son is, is growing up, about to become an adult. And God tells him, go offer your son Isaac on the altar. And now God's asking him literally to sacrifice his most treasured person on the altar. Rahab, on the other hand, hid the Israelites in Joshua chapter two. Do you remember that story, how the Israelite spies went into Jericho? Rahab hid them and then um, confessed to them that God was God of the earth, that Israel served the one true Lord. That was her confession of faith. And she was willing to risk her life for her faith. So you have Abraham willing to sacrifice his most treasured possession, his son, for his faith, and Rahab, who was willing to sacrifice her life for the faith, and put those two together, Abraham and Rahab, put everything that was dear to them online for the Lord, what, and it didn't matter to them, the cost. You see, it is in the midst of the crossroads of life where ambitions, hopes, dreams, destinies, and even life itself is at stake, that one true faith reveals itself. They truly exhibited Christ's words in Mark 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's what James is speaking of when he talks about faith and works. Faith without works is dead. Faith, without counting the cost of discipleship and saying Christ is worth all that, that kind of faith, if you don't have that kind of faith, it's dead faith. It's no faith at all. And so I want to challenge you in closing with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith Test yourselves. Dear person, can you examine your life? And because you are humbly listening to God's word, see an increasing obedience to God? Because there's a genuine heart change? Do you see where you have counted the cost of discipleship and you have died to yourself and you have committed to the Lord Jesus no matter the cost? All the other ethical commands that are given in James, all of them hinge upon your having true saving faith. Do you have it? Do you have true saving faith? Can you say, Pastor, I have looked at these passages. I have seen what Jesus said about counting the cost. And undoubtedly, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ because I love God's word and I hear God's word and I obey his God's word, or I obey his word. And I have counted the cost of discipleship in Jesus Christ and Christ is more than worth it and, and I follow him. If that is your testimony, be thankful to God for saving you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these passages that on the surface are very tough to understand. 
But when you look at them carefully, we see that the core truth is very simple. I pray, Lord, that everybody within the hearing of my voice has counted the cost of discipleship and has heard the word and done it. If there is anyone who is being self-deceived, as James puts it, that, they, that your Holy Spirit will speak to the hearts, that they will understand that they are self-deceived. And Lord, that today or tomorrow or very soon will be their time of salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.